Support for WRFA is brought to you in part by the United Ways of Chautauqua County. United Way is a nonprofit organization that mobilizes the community to help every person and family improve their lives. Donations to the United Way stay 100% locally in our community and get invested in more than 40 community-based programs. These programs help students achieve academic success, families to be self-sufficient and financially stable, and vulnerable households to get their basic and emergency needs met. The United Ways of Chautauqua County, proud supporters of community radio in Jamestown, New York. To learn more, visit uascc.org or call 716-483-1561. You are tuned in to Arts on Fire right here on 107.9 WRFA. How you doing out there? I'm your host, Anthony Merchant, here with you with another episode. Today's guest, you know, I mean, we've had a couple comedians on here, but it's been a while. And today I'm talking to comedian Paul Morrissey. He'll be coming to Jamestown March 24th and 25th for the recording of his new upcoming album at the National Comedy Center. Very excited to have him in the area, let you know what is going on. We got some comedy coming to Jamestown here next month. So let's learn more about it with Paul. Paul, how you doing? I'm doing great, Anthony. That was a great, uh, wow, that was a really good intro, and I don't know if I can live up to that, but, uh, <laughs> but that, yeah, it sounds exciting. Now I'm excited about it. I wasn't before, but now I am. So, uh, it's, it, it was a kind of a weird thing. I, I, I'm originally from upstate New York, a little town called Owego. So, you know, I'm the, I'm the old 17, as they used to call it. It's everybody knows that it's 86 now, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, right up, yeah, right up 86. That's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, used to be the 17. So I think, uh, you know, it's a, probably a couple hundred miles, but, uh, but that upstate sensibility is kind of any place north of, uh, north of Monticello, I think. So, um, so yeah, most of the comedians, I, you know, anybody from upstate New York that became a comedian, and I kind of uh, learned about growing up. So, um, so obviously, I've been out there to do the Lucille Ball Fest a few times, and those have been kind of career altering moments. You know, I I I I did a I closed the show, and Peter Fairley, the director, was there, and he was really impressed, and. You know, and that was like a big deal for me. And then I ended up uh, meeting Nick Offerman in another festival. And so uh, Jamestown has been a big, uh, big part of my development and, and uh, part of my career. So um, when this opportunity came and actually my, you know, it's my record label is based in San Francisco. And, you know, they had recorded out there last year, I think, and he, they just love the experience and love that I was kind of from at least that part of uh, upstate New York. And so I was like, yeah, let's do this. Sounds exciting. So, um, so I'm a big comedy history fan. So obviously Tropicana room, that all that is, uh, is so cool to me, you know? Um, so I can't wait. Yeah, I mean, we're we're very excited to uh, have you to town. Very cool too. I was going to ask you that if you've uh, performed here before, but uh, apparently you have. You are no stranger to Jamestown. You've played you've played a couple times. How uh, you know how long for you now? Kind of getting into your background and getting into your comedy and everything. I mean, how long have you been doing comedy now? Like what what year would twenty twenty three mark for you doing this? I mean, to age it that way. <laughs> That makes me very uncomfortable, but, um, <laughs> but <laughs> to, to, uh, I don't know, I guess, 
I'm trying to think of when you mark. I kind of marked it when I actually started doing it because I, you know, I, I, you know, I don't think growing up in upstate New York, you could say you're a comedian without your parents, you know, checking you into therapy or something, you know. So I think, think saying you're a comedian in a blue collar place where I grew up would be like telling somebody you want to be a wizard or you know something <laughs> like that so I think so I think I tried uh to sneak it in, in in different ways you know I I you know I was a broadcaster um you know believe it or not I played college basketball which you know for looking at me you'd never know but that was like my first kind of you know, outlet was, you know, I played college basketball and then, you know, that was kind of when ESPN became big. And so I was like, oh, these guys can be funny. So, you know, that might be a cool job if I know sports and I can be funny. And then, you know, and then you see Norm McDonald on Saturday Night Live and you're like, oh, yeah, that's what I want to do. Or David Letterman, you know, I went to taping when I was in high school. I snuck, I skipped school for a day and we drove down to the Ed Sullivan Theater and I saw a taping, you know, and it was just like an amazing life-changing experience. And I, I was just like, I want to be in it. I just want to be a part of this. I'll be an usher at this theater if that's what it takes. And so, you know, I just I just knew I wanted to be a part of it. But, I, you know, just being from where we're from, you don't really know if that's a dream or is that, you know, you're like, oh, you can work. You know, you can be a teacher during the day and then do your little stand-up stuff at night. You know, that could be a thing. But you don't know if it, it can really be a career until you, you kind of go for it, you know? It, it is. You're right. That, like, whole kind of, like, you could you can maybe do as a hobby or for fun. You know, maybe every now and then you could, like, find an open mic or do something, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. But, yeah, you're – I definitely see what you're saying, Where which it is nice, too, because now, I mean – Lucy Fest, and we have the Comedy Center and stuff here. So I mean, comedy is pretty vibrant in town. But I mean, I don't, I don't know that I would even say around us here, yeah, that it was like always that way. So I, I can see where that may not be like super vibrant to get into. Did you, did you start like you're talking about, you know, like you know, being like growing up in upstate New York when you started doing comedy? <laughs> I mean, did you do it there? Because I was going to ask you about the comedy scene where you started, but by the sounds of it, there really was a non-existent comedy scene where you were originally from. So, I mean, did, did you start comedy there? Or did you have to go do comedy elsewhere? No, I mean, your my exposure to comedy, you know, growing up in a town like that, you get to watch the kids in the hall, you know, the sketch show. You get yeah. to see some George Carlin specials if you're lucky. Um, you know, you get to watch Saturday Night Live, but that's basically it. You know, you see maybe George Carlin, you know, comes to a place a couple hours away from you or something, but you, you know, that didn't seem like a real thing to me. So, you know, it, it was, uh, it was a thing where, yeah, I, I always try to see if I had an inkling about it, but basically it was like, I wanted to be an NBA basketball player. Like that was my dream. As silly as that was, um, I was lucky enough that I, you know, I was a, a really good high school player, and I was a, a pretty good college player as well. I was a leading scorer for for uh, Cortland State. I also was a starting point guard at Binghamton University. And then when that kind of ended, it was like, are you gonna? You're not playing in the NBA, so what do you do? Are you a coach? Do you want to be a you know a broadcaster? And so I ended up doing an internship with 
the station that covered my games in Binghamton and, uh, and then moved out to Phoenix to, to work in a sports department. And then I got an on-air job in Northern California. And so that's kind of where, you know, you're 3,000 miles away from everybody. I'm on TV. Um, I don't really know how to be on TV. I just know sports, right? So it's like, you know, I told somebody earlier that, you know, my first sports cast, I'm doing New York Yankee highlights and uh, New York Giants. And uh, <laughs> we're in Northern California. My sports director is like, what the, why are you showing the Yankee highlights? We're, <laughs> the San Francisco Giants are the team out here. I'm like, oh, I thought this was my show. Like, I thought I could do anything I wanted. And, you know, and I also was, you know, I had to do news two days a week, which I was basically doing daily show kind of stories at a real station, you know, they would be like, Hey, we need four stories today. And you know, we're in a town where no news happens. So it's like, do you want me to cause a car accident on purpose? Or what, what do I do for a news story? You know? And so I just end up, you know, doing man on the street stuff and goofing around. And, and I think I literally got promoted because, uh, I was so bad at these news stories. They just wanted me to be, in sports and so luckily I went to a comedy club one night in, in Sacramento and uh, the wo- woman there was like hey you're really funny on the news you do stand up uh, I have this class that I do and it's like Monday night and so I was like oh that seems like you know at least help me with, with work you know because I wasn't that comfortable on TV yet. you know I, don't, I didn't feel like yeah, you know, the guy with the great hairstyle and the great smile. I just knew about sports. So, um, and that woman, her name is Karen Anderson, was my savior. She's, she ended up being the writer on the Ellen DeGeneres show and Wanda Sykes and Arsenio and won about 20 Emmys. So she, I was just lucky that I ran into her at the right time and she kind of saw something in me. And, um, you know, cause up until that point, I was more of a writer than a performer. And so what the TV stuff taught me how to do is write in my own voice, you know, cause I was writing stuff that was like very eloquent, but I couldn't say it, you know, without sounding like an idiot. So I had to write in my own voice. And so by the time I got, you know, to where I was going to do stand up, I, I was good at writing that, you know, and especially with the news, everything has to be short and concise and the intros can only be so long and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, and looking back on it, uh, David Letterman was a weatherman is, you know, in Indianapolis and, you know, Norm Macdonald never was in the news, but I think his brother is actually a news anchor in Canada. So, um, so I, I guess in some kind of way, I thought maybe, if I'm so funny on the news, they'll make me a comedian or something. I don't even know what my thought process was, but <laughs> I guess it worked out somehow. Do you do you still feel, because that's a good point, like, I mean, I do feel like there's a lot of people, including like comedians and stuff, who do get that background, like, starting out in broadcasting in some way. Like, I mean, do you do you still, like, like you said, you were able in the beginning to apply some of that stuff. Do you feel like some of that stuff you learned back then you're still using? Because I even... I don't, I don't, I can't say I do much TV, but even on the radio side, I mean, you do a X amount of improv and thinking off the top of your head and stuff, maybe not so much for news. I don't know, but I mean, radio and stuff, I'm just thinking from that side, it's like, I could definitely see some of the stuff on here being able, maybe not being funny, but like you could apply some of the things from, you know, just broadcasting into getting up on stage and performing. 
Oh yeah, even even public speaking, and and you know from listening to your air checks and stuff that like, oh man, I can't say my A's like that anymore, or I I can't have this accent, or that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You yeah, and you find the words that you say over too many times, and all that stuff is helpful for public speaking, especially if you've never done public speaking before. Um, and, and, you know, so that helped immensely. The writing helped me immensely. And, and even the funny part was, you know, I'm doing my sports segment in front of nobody except the cameraman. And, you know, he's laughing once in a while or the directors are laughing, but I got no audience. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, when I finally got to do my first network TV appearance, that's when most people get nervous because they're not used to the lights or the cameras. They're used to just the comedy club. And so when I got there, it was like, man, this is just like doing the news, except I got an audience now. Like I got the lights and the camera. I know where to look. Uh, I know it was funny because uh, my sports segment was four minutes and 50 seconds. And then when I first did my first my stand-up in comedy, I did the Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. It was my first uh, first late-night spot. That was four minutes and 50 seconds also. <laughs> so even the timing was exactly the same. And so that that made me super comfortable. And as soon as I did it, you know, most people, even comedians, they might have one, one good late-night spot, and they're like, all right, I'll work on the road or, you know, they they don't look forward to like doing it again. As soon as I did it, I was like, oh yeah, I want to do it again. I want to do it better. So I, I luckily I ended up getting an opportunity to do that show uh, every year for about four or five years. Oh, wow! And then yeah, so so that really helped me develop not only my act but you know a following, and you're getting in front of a network TV audience and stuff. And I, I know that means nothing now, the YouTube generation, but, but back then it was super important to have, you know, four or 5 million people see you tell jokes. And even if they didn't see it, they knew that you did it and they could see a tape of it, you know? So you didn't have to record your, your, your nightclub act from the back of a comedy club to try to get booked you had like a, a t- tv show tape to send somebody so that was a big deal for me but my my goal was always to do letterman so you know i always thought i had an inside track maybe because i had done the ferguson show and that was owned by like worldwide pants and but you know the the booker you know there was just a different you know vibe from him and he didn't really think i was type for Letterman or what I don't even know what it was it just never made any sense to me but I was just con- you know resigned to the fact that I'm probably not going to do that show even though that was really my my dream and my goal it's so during his last year I think the booker got fired and then the producers were booking it so I sent them the tape and they were like oh yeah this is exactly you know this is this is perfect you know we'll book you next month and so that was like my dream, you know, and it was a few years after, you know, when I initially wanted to do it. But I think by that time it wasn't like, Oh, I'm lucky to do this. I'm like, I want to, I want to do this and crush it, man. Like I, I can't believe that I'm getting the opportunity to do this. So, so it, it was, I think worked out better in the long run and it, and it did help me 
immensely career wise because you know that it went so well and you know i was one of the final people to debut on the show everybody else was like super famous because it was during his last year so i think i was like the one or one of the last one or two people to to debut so that was kind of a cool thing too so yeah that is real and and to complicate things yeah the (laughs) the first time (laughs) I got booked. I got bumped by Regis Philbin <laughs> because uh, because he talked too long. I was literally like on the side of the stage, just checking my fly, and the producers come to me like looking like somebody died, and I was just like, "Oh, what happened?" And they were just like, "Oh yeah, we're not gonna tape your set." And so that you know, Dave Dave is kind of like old school like that where. He wants the show to be one thing. He didn't want to just tape the segment. And he's like, no, we'll, we'll fly him back. You know, he even flew my girlfriend back and my parents came back for it. And, um, you know, he apologized to me on the air, which was even cooler. So that made it even nice. a bigger deal that like, hey, we're going to have this Paul Morrissey back as soon as he can come back. And so, um, so yeah, it ended up being a super cool experience and everything I could have hoped for in the right time. And, uh, yeah, I'm still kind of a little, you know, that was kind of the only thing I ever wanted to do in comedy. And so uh, everything else has been icing on the cake, you know, um, from, from there, then on, I've done some hour specials and some things, but, um, but that, that was kind of, you know, if you, you sum up your career in a moment, you know, it's, it's, Hey, this guy's on David Letterman, you know, that's, that's, that's still going to be it for me. So that's kind of cool. You, you know, kind of, I was just thinking it too with that. I mean, you know, obviously it was like you were saying, it's a dream of yours. You got to fulfill a dream. Like the fact, and I don't know if you thought of this at all when you're performing, but like the, the fact that you were on at the end of it, was there any added pressure where you got to kind of assume, I mean, since things are ending, this is like your one shot to be on there. It's not like, well, I'll come on this time and do a little better next time. Like, was there anything like that going in your head knowing, you know, just because it, it is, it's not like, well, I can come back and do 30 more. It's like, this is probably the one appearance. Like, he, you know, the show the show's about done. Oh, yeah, and this is when, you know, the ratings were going way back up again. And, no, it was um, just getting a chance to do it. You know, I wanted to nail it. And, and to be honest, the great thing was, especially living in L.A., to fly back, you know, basically you fly in New York on a Monday, you know, you run the set Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the producers might see it, have a change or something. And then, and then Thursday night, you'll tape it. So I got to basically do all of that, you know, stay at the hotel, even go to the studio that day and get dressed. I did everything but the show. So I got this like kind of cool dry run of everything but the show. And, uh, so all the nerves are kind of not gone, but like, so, you know, I, it was like a month later I came out and basically did the same exact thing. So I knew exactly what to expect and what the timing was going to be. And the only thing I was hoping I wasn't going to get bumped again. (laughs) I know it was probably in the back of your head. It's like, no, not, no. (laughs) Regis Philbin comes back for his second appearance. None none of that. Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, and just oh, and I just want to say, just so everyone knows, I did I did joke about Regis a few times um, because uh, you know Drew Carey, I was a little bummed out about it. it. Was it was a weird thing? I got I got bumped, and then I went to uh, the comedy store, and Drew Carey 
I, it was a weird, one of the weirdest nights ever. A friend of mine introduced me to Mike Judge, who's also <laughs> yeah. like a hero of mine. And, uh, and my friend introduced me as this guy just did Letterman. And, uh, Mike was like, Oh yeah, I think I've seen you. And then, and then Drew Carey comes over and I just done this Johnny Carson festival with him. And I said, Oh yeah, I just did the Johnny Carson. He's like, Oh, did that get you on Letterman? I was like, Actually, I got bumped by Regis Philbin, and Drew Carey went into one of the greatest stories I've ever heard about getting bumped and made me feel immediately better. And, you know, and I'm sharing this, like, moment with Mike Judge and Drew Carey, <laughs> and uh, it, it was, like, the coolest thing ever. And so it was so funny that one of the years, I don't know which year it was, they did a Letterman panel at the Lucy Fest, and Regis was there doing it. And so uh, I did have a chance to kind of uh, bury the hatchet with him, and, and uh, <laughs> you Major know, piece. Uh, so I don't want, yeah, I don't want people to Google me crashing Regis Philbin, and, and uh, you know, rest in peace, obviously. But yeah, it was kind of funny that we we ended up. I was like, you know, you got me bumped, <laughs> and uh, but but yeah, every everything about that was just cool, you know, the Ed Sullivan Theater and. You know, even had a couple of extra interactions with Dave because he he uh, you know missed. He, I guess he had to do another announcement, and so yeah, it was it was just so such a cool thing, and so um, yeah, I just want I wasn't worried about like anything else, but just having having a blast, and that's one of the few times just just you're just up there enjoying everything, you know. So it, I do I do really love love that. Um, part of part of stand-up you know when you have that great crowd because you, you know even the, even at the lucy fest you know you guys are so used to comedy and have become comedy fans and have seen so many different kinds of shows that you know you know you're going to get a great audience there so that's one of the other reasons that we wanted to do the taping there so Let, let's talk about this taping a little bit i mean like this is you know again this is coming up uh next month for people listening do you like material wise i mean do you, you feel like you're all set to go for this do you think that you, you feel like everything's ready on on that end you're prepared for uh, these sets coming up oh absolutely i think it's almost on par with the letterman thing where you know i was probably ready to do it four years ago and uh, <laughs> and, uh <laughs> and now i get a chance to do it i want to make the best of it so it's 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 going to be a blast you know, basically why we're doing it is because, you know, um, my stuff, you know, was kind of curated. Uh, you know, I, I got lucky enough to meet Jerry Seinfeld once and we talked about, you know, when a joke is done, you know, is when you do it on a late night TV show, like the tonight show or something, that's like the finished product of the joke. And this is before everyone was doing our specials every six months or whatever, like, you know, it took you, you know, you would work years on that five minute set and edit it down and make it perfect and, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I always thought my stuff would be preserved that way. And then YouTube came around and everything kind of disappeared. And I think most of the worldwide pants stuff has disappeared. Even the music stuff, they don't have a lot of those, you know, they must be doing some kind of streaming deal eventually or something. Um, so basically none of my late night spots are online anymore because of whatever, right? So 
I don't really have like a finished version of my jokes um, that that is being played. You know, I did a a, a special for Dry Bar um, a couple years ago that kind of got bought by a couple different uh, outlets and is being shown. Um, and you know, and even that like five years ago. So um, I'm really excited to like get get my kind of like you know the best hour of of what i have and uh just get it down on tape and and if there is still tape what do they call it now <laughs> get it on uh i call it tape too get it I... in digital form <laughs> lay down the track and uh yeah yeah it's um you know i've got you know enough for a new special just in the last you know three or four years but then um we also want to make sure we got you know, the best of the best stuff. Um, so it's, it's going to be a super tight, fun show and I'm really excited and I've been working really hard on it. And so even a chance to get to do it four times there is going to be, be a lot of fun with, uh, all the great audiences there. So I can't wait. You know, I, I was kind of wondering this for, uh, you know, doing a, doing a comedy special like that. I mean, like, I, I feel like, and you can tell me obviously, like the balance of it, because I feel like you want to go in prepared X amount, but also I would assume you don't want, you know, the entire act like verbatim or like I feel, again, I don't know, I don't know comedy, but like it seems interesting where there'd be this balance where on one end, yes, obviously you want to know your material and know what you're going to do for those, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, I would assume there's some part where it's like, I mean, they're also still live performances. So some of that stuff just almost needs to organically or naturally happen, if you know what I'm talking about there. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, yeah, that's even you talk to filmmakers and, you know, that's their whole thing is you can plan out everything and there's still some magic that happens on the set and some stuff that just happens in there. You know, even that hour special I did a few years ago, there was probably five minutes of stuff that I I never even said before because it was just stuff in that in the moment and you know talking about the background and the setting and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I don't I don't want it to seem like it's going to be me just repeating jokes that I've done, you know, uh it's it's um you know, I'm going to get you know, with the amount of time I'm going to get a chance to tell some stories and get a little more personal than obviously I usually would with a, a shorter set. Uh, and, and yeah, it's definitely the audience is a huge part of it. You know, one of the things I talked about is we learned during the pandemic, you know, that, that, you know, doing these zoom shows, you, you know, you either, you get a delayed reaction or no reaction or it's quiet <laughs> and, uh, and you can't do comedy with quiet, you know, it doesn't work. <laughs> So, you know, um, so the audience is a huge part of the energy in the room. So that's why we're doing the four shows and, you know, we're hoping all of them are going to be great. Um, but obviously every night a little bit different. Every show is a little bit different. And, you know, the energy of the people is going to take you in a couple of different, different directions. And, you know, like a singer gets an orchestra, you know, I'm a comedian, so the the people's laughter is is my orchestra you know what i mean so i'm playing off them so they're the ones that are that are giving me the energy so that you know that 
you know, you get that little magic. There's an extra couple lines that you come up with because you get, you're getting more laughter. You're getting a couple applause breaks. And so it, it always, a great audience always brings more comedy out of you. So, um, so it's, it's not set in stone by any means. Um, it's just, uh, you know, I have a list of things I want to do. And, you know, a lot of times I don't even get to that stuff because, uh, so um, that's one of the reasons we're doing four shows because we gotta we gotta get all this stuff down. <laughs> got a lot to talk about. A lot of a lot of a lot of personal, you know, more personal stories. You know, I I love being known as the observational comic, and you know, the thing I love about a great comic like Mitch Hedberg is, you know, you can't ride an escalator without thinking of one of his jokes you know, or, uh, you know, or, you know, the receipt for the donut and, and stuff like that. Um, and I, it's really flattering when people come up to me and they talk about, you know, do you want soup today? Or do you, do you like an ice cream sandwich or, you know, just certain things that stick with people that I've, that I've done in the past. So, um, so that's what I really love is coming up with unique, unique things, unique words and unique stories and, and hopefully, you know, uh, people will relate to them, especially in upstate New York. So that's why we're doing it there. I mean, we're, we're looking forward to it. Hopefully get a, uh, a great crowd around here for these shows. And I mean, one, one more for you, as we kind of start to close this out, you had me uh, thinking about this earlier when you were talking about like, uh, you know, doing, doing like Letterman and stuff like that. And then, you know, as YouTube comes along and all these different things, I feel like you've lived in an interesting era in comedy where you've seen both of that, where you've, where you've seen the era of late night can like, you know, make, can really make your career and, you know, just the way you do things to then, yeah, YouTube. And I mean, obviously the internet was there, but the internet becoming more prevalent and all that. I mean, as you kind of look through your career and maybe it's hard to pinpoint, but I mean, are there a couple changes within the industry that kind of blew your mind or still do when you look at like, say how you did it starting out versus now? I mean, whether that be how you quote unquote, make it, how you do this or that. I mean, it, like, cause it seems like you, you've seen so much change in these years. Cause, cause when you started, are there any changes that come to mind? Well, I mean, obviously people doing, you know, doing, you know, I think I did my first late night spot, maybe like six, five or six years into it, which I think was, is pretty early. You know, most people are doing it 10 years and they might get a tonight show or something. So I, I, I even thought I was early to get like that five minute spot. So the fact that like there's people doing it a couple of years and they're doing an hour special, um, that's, that's pretty crazy. And, you know, and people have access to watching more comedy and maybe they're, you know, I think, I think they have improv classes in high school and so I'm, I'm positive that kids are better at, you know, speaking and being on stage because they're filming themselves from the time that they're, you know, <laughs> they're one with their own phones and they know what they look like. That was something, you know, we never saw a taste of ourselves until, uh, you know, even when you're doing stand-up, you're lucky if you got a tape of it to see, you know, well, why that outfit's terrible? Why is my hair like that? You gotta learn all that stuff. Um, but but I am thankful that you know I I was able to you know develop you know those five minutes at a time instead of you know if I did an hour special you know five years in you know there'd probably be a lot of stuff that would make me cringe uh, about <laughs> that. Um, and then you know. 
the podcasting thing actually went was a, a super cool thing for me because I think I was prepared for it as a broadcaster a little bit better. It's it's made other people, you know, comedians are definitely there's com- comedians now that are better broadcasters than they are comedians sometimes, and <laughs> and that part of their career takes off. And so that's something I didn't be coming, but I was able, you know, I was even a co-host for Artie Lang's show for a couple of years. Oh, nice. and, and then I did a podcast, did a podcast with Tom Papa called Come to Papa that we did for three or four years. And so, you know, those opportunities only came just because I was kind of an experienced broadcaster who was funny, you know, who was a comedian. So, um, I think that, uh, you know, I think, I think that's a great thing that I actually haven't, you know, been involved enough in, especially the last couple of years. And so I think after this album, um, you know, I'm going to get into probably back into some type of podcasting or uh, radio show because I, I, I think I need that outlet. You know, I've, I've learned that. That's why it, it has given me a lot more material, not, not a broadcasting every day um but i think uh it's uh but i would like to do that because it is it is pretty fun especially when you're just talking with your friends and being funny you know i think it doesn't feel like work to me so that's kind of a a cool part of it um but yeah the tiktok stuff i don't really i have one friend who's super big on it and he still doesn't know how it works so um (laughs) so i don't know I, i think we're in a weird uh weird spot at least with social media where you know you put out a clip every day do you um, only put out the good stuff like uh, how do you do it I think everyone has a different opinion about that and um, and I've always been more about quality than quantity so no, that stuff that stuff's very interesting. I talk to uh, I talk to musicians a lot, so I mean a lot. I'll go through that, and you know, including like music producers and stuff throughout the years. Like, what have you seen change? Like, you know, in a recording studio, say in the '70s and '80s versus now. But you know, comedy. I don't. I guess I don't really get to uh, talk as much about that. It's interesting to kind of hear the uh, behind the scenes and kind of the things that kind of quote unquote make it and how they change throughout the years. But I mean, again, I kind of think it's interesting because you've kind of seen both sides of that. Again, you've seen where. TV was a thing and that was a huge part of your career to now where like I mean YouTube can probably do more than TV can at times so I mean that that stuff's uh I don't know it's it's insane but I, I you know on top of that well, yeah I mean my yeah my dry bar special this that was some kind of a I guess a TV clean type of brand that they're gonna just put on a app or something and then they just ended up putting it for free on YouTube and Facebook, and that got, like, millions of views, and I had nothing to do with it, you know? I didn't even know, and that, that's probably done more for my career than anything in the last couple of years. So um, so that's why I try not to get as precious uh, anymore, you know? And I'm just, if somebody asks me to do something, and as long as it's, you know, stuff that I want to do, I'll put it out there, so... I mean, another not you know just just one more point off of that to go. Oh, you got you got me thinking more. But like, I mean, also it almost makes you think maybe no one really does have the answer because everyone who thinks it's going to be this or it's going to be this or like this is how you make it and stuff. It's like, well, you really don't know until we get there. 
You know, I don't know that anybody really – in five years, it could all be different as well. TikTok may not be a thing in five years. You really, truly never know, it seems like. Oh, it is It is all going to be different, definitely. It's just a matter of, uh, like I said, you only have so much material. So in what form you're going to put it out, you want it to be in the best form. So that's why, you know, I think, you know, in five years, people are definitely are still going to be listening to comedy. So that's why I want this you know, this album to be the best version of of the jokes that I'm doing and then have it be a thing because I, I think I kind of missed out, you know, the last few years of, um, you know, because that's become a big thing, serious, and people listening to comedy and Spotify and all that kind of stuff, and, and we really didn't have enough of my material out there. So this is, you know, a big push to get to get all that stuff out there and, and make sure uh, I kind of have a little niche of my own, you know? <laughs> yeah, and people, and actually that's kind of cool too for people in uh, the area to come out to because you'd be a part of, you know, you'll be a part of that material. You'd be a part of the recording, and then, then you'll forever be a part of it. It'll be, it'll be out there forever. You, you can be part of the crowd if you come out March uh, 24th and 25th to the National Comedy Center. And where, and also with that, I mean, where do we send people now? I mean, we find, where can we find you online? Where do we find more info on the tapings? Like all that stuff. We want to, we want to stay connected with all things Paul Morrissey. Where do we go? Well, the, uh, where everything starts is, uh, you know, my name was taken on the internet. So paulhasawebsite.com is always going to be the website. We're actually, we're getting everything updated. Like I told you, we're kind of curating all those you know, TV spot. So that's going to be updated. Paul has a website.com. And then on Instagram, uh, Paul has a website also is the name. Just Paul has a website on Instagram and there's a bunch of reels and, uh, most of the TV stuff on there. Um, pretty big with Instagram now. And then, uh, and then, yeah, we'll get, a you know, hopefully, uh, and also on YouTube, the the a real humdinger was the last uh, the dry bar special, which I think is also on the Comedy Dynamics channel on the on of the streaming platforms. Uh, so that full special is out there too. So and, and on uh, Apple Music, that the, the real humdinger things on it. So. Um, just put in Paul and you'll find me eventually. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> you're around, you're around. We'll, we'll, we'll find you. <laughs> we'll find you in Jamestown. That's what we'll find. You can find him online, but you can also find him in real life. March 24th and 25th yeah. downtown, right at the national comedy center recording, yeah. recording new record. Yeah. In the Tropicana room, which obviously, if you know, the, I love Lucy and the history and all that kind of stuff is such a cool place. And just to be, just to be on on the the set there and uh, be a part of that, is, I'm super excited. I couldn't I couldn't be more. You know that's why we do kind of want to film some stuff just because I think it's such a great a great uh, thing. But um, but the big thing is to get the album kind of on 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 tape. So we'll have four four big shows and it's not a huge room. So make sure you get tickets. I know they were going pretty fast and i do appreciate you spreading the word and hopefully we'll see you uh see you down there or or get some get some friends to get down there and uh, that's at the i think it's just the national comedy center.com is the the website i can't wait to see the uh the actual center because i haven't i haven't been there since it's been completed so um so i know 
everybody tells me you got you got to spend a whole day there checking out all that stuff. So, um, so I'm super excited about that. Even so, uh, it's going to be a fun weekend for me. Part of my, a big part of my comedy career. So hopefully, uh, your listeners can be a part of it, and uh, hopefully, we'll see you guys there. Great. I mean, it, it, Paul, it's been great talking to you again. Comedian Paul Morrissey coming to Jamestown March 24th and 25th. Go see him record his new album at the National Comedy Center. I am Anthony Merchant here with you. I'll be back in just a second with more right here on Arts on Fire.